0: I V M
1: Hello and welcome to the Habit Coach podcast. I am Ashton Doctor, your habit coach. And in our last episode, we discussed about yoga. You know, understanding yoga, how do we get started into yoga? I want to start my own yoga practice and, you know, get the ball rolling. So it was a very interesting and enlightening episode there. Today we're going to be talking about beyond yoga? What are the things that lo- yoga can be the starting point to on your journey? And I think this is such a fantastic topic because there's so much that we can discuss on this. So join me in welcoming again, Namita Peparaya back to the Habit Coach podcast. Namita, welcome back.
0: Thank you, Ashton. Wonderful to be back here.
1: So, you know, Namita, you said something very interesting in the last episode, which is what I want to take off from. Right? I asked you, how should a person choose their yoga practice? Because we discussed the different kinds of yoga practices that exist. Yeah. And you said, you know, in Ayurveda, there are these prakritis and you can think about the prakritis and choose according to that. And I found that very interesting. right? Yeah. So how did, you know, how does yoga and Ayurveda and all of that mix and, you know mix together?
0: Yeah, so both are actually sister sciences. They developed in the same, uh, you know, uh, era and they are very deeply connected because both eventually have a spiritual goal, which is of uh, mindfulness or samadhi in, in different terms for the same concept. Ayurveda in particular helps you create a, helps create a platform for you of good health, which is well integrated with your environment. So you can actually pursue your yogic practices or yogic goals so, um, for instance, when what Ayurveda basically helps you do is understand yourself better. That's your personality assessment. It's a great tool for self-awareness, and that it helps you understand how you can blend in with your environment without disturbing your core nature too much. An environment is both physical as well as the one we create in our mind with our thoughts and uh, you know feelings. So that's where they do come through. And Ayurveda also helps make yoga therapeutic because it customizes the practice for you. A lot of people there, you know, today there are over 2000 yoga postures. There are books about 2000 yoga postures. So which one do you choose? So Ayurveda can simplify that, you know, help you tease out which ones to choose. This is uh, how your, uh, you know, mental or physical state is at the current point in time. So that's, the connection between the
1: two like we've had lots of ayurveda doctors in the podcast and we've discussed ayurveda in different different aspects yeah but we've never discussed ayurveda from a yoga point of view yeah yeah right so what are the aspects that you should look at in order to either choose the yoga practice or the yoga practice help you out in your ayurveda how should uh, somebody approach it that way
0: so when it comes to Ayurveda and yoga, there are two things. One is prevention, one is cure. So when it comes to cure, when you already have a condition, that's when Ayurveda doctors or you know allopathic doctors, you would go there. But as a preventive mechanism, what Ayurveda helps you do is understand what do you have a propensity for? Because like we discussed in the previous, that if somebody is vata dominant, they will have more propensity for, let's say, joint-related issues or uh, nervous system-related issue. because vata or the wind element rests in your bones, and it deals with your thoughts and your mind. So anything that impacts the mind will likely be related to vata. It's anything that represents movement will be related to vata. So that is why you know that if this is the predominant dosha in your personality, you have certain propensities. And then you can develop a yoga practice to help balance that out or to enhance whatever is weaker in you. That's, uh, that's one way to look at it.
1: And- yeah. You know, what are some of the Ayurvedic practices that you think go extremely well with yoga that people should start thinking about and start doing? Or at least how should they start approaching it?
0: You know, there's uh, the aspect of Ayurveda which deals with diet and herbs and therapy is more in the realm of Ayurvedic doctors who practice this. So I will not get into that because that also has been written about at length. When I was doing my studies, I was most fascinated by the personality assessment aspect of Ayurveda that it was helping me along with the yoga sutras and my own journey of why am I like this why do I have these feelings and you know it's more like a therapeutic journey where you're doing self-assessment at multiple points so that's what I will dive into because that is the part of Ayurveda that I think every yoga practitioner should be involved in so once you have a better understanding of yourself Once you're more aware, then your mindfulness practices are more meaningful because you are able to develop a lifestyle around that. So very simply put, Ayurveda helps you be very intuitive because you will start noticing that if you are having certain propensities or certain behavioral traits, it's for a reason. And you can if you think that anxiety is bothering you. Or if Pitta people will have a lot of anger issues, they also tend to have more ulcers or digestive issues and pitta people love spicy food so you know it's we are we are our own um, uh, worst enemies at times because we have those propensities that kind of take us down the uh, you know route of addiction so you will as a pitta person have more cooling practices uh, in your uh, yoga routine Pitta people will do very well with anything that requires team effort like acro yoga, or, you know, when you're doing something together with other people because they tend to be competitive and have that spirit, which often can be damaging. So if you are a yoga practitioner and you want to really use your yoga practice to do stress management, then you need to have more understanding of yourselves because we all fall into a loop of behaving the same way over and over again without any awareness of what we are doing. So when I was studying the yoga sutras and doing Ayurveda, it was like light bulbs being flashed on where I was going wrong. And that is when you can work on that. So that's how it integrates into your everyday life, improves your relationships, makes you a better human being, makes you kinder and helps you work on yourself.
1: Lovely. So what are some of the the prakritis that work well and you know how should you think about them and uh, yeah. and yoga like for example you you spoke about vata what yeah. are the others that yeah you can think of In and-
0: so there are three main energies which is vata mm. pitta and kapha vata is mm. your uh, air and space element pitta is your fire and water element like your digestive fluid acid in the body and kapha is uh, water and earth so By nature, vata is air and more mobile, very rough. It can cause erosion. So if you're having a lot of muscle uh, weaknesses, if you are after your sickness, when people become weak, that is vata element, just eroding the body. It's mobile, constantly moving. Creative people have a lot of vata, the mind. But if they don't give it a structure and discipline, creative people never finish their projects. So that's one example. So Pitta is, and these three combine. So these three can combine in twos as Vata, Pitta, Pitta, Kapha, Kapha, Vata, or they combine in three to make a three doshik personality, which is very rare, which is Vata, Pitta, Kapha. So there's seven, seven. So three individual, three groups, and one, all three. So seven broad prototypes.
1: So so for Vata, I think in the last podcast, you had said that you would practice a more Hata kind of an approach, which is a more... Uh, a, a stationary hold kind grounding of, yeah uh, grounding um, style of yoga what would you do for pitta for example
0: pitta is moderate so you would blend both so while vata would need grounding and kapha would need vinyasa pitta comes in the middle everything in moderation because pitta has a tendency to push themselves to the extreme if you know the kind of people who you know go in for a burnout who will work extra more than they should and that's a pitta trait and they need moderation in their life and so it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Some vinyasa is good for them, but also include holding postures. Do more cooling. Always a pitta person should end their practice with a cooling pose like child pose or makarasana or a forward bend. So for pitta people, headstand, you should not hold for continuous periods because headstand creates more heat. It's, um, it's an it's a energy practice. So pitta, you would say hold for 15, 30 seconds and stop, repeat. A vata person can hold a headstand. For two minutes, if they want continuously, it's like that.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Lovely. So, what are some of the Ayurvedic practices that you do yeah. that you know have really helped you out in your in your life? So, like, what are some of the not necessarily in yoga, but yeah. more lifestyle oriented uh, Ayurveda pra- practices that our listeners yeah. can immediately start thinking of doing?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I changed a lot of things in my life once I understood myself better with Ayurveda. Number one was diet. So I was into the diet culture. I would eat very little. I had started avoiding ghee like the plague. I wouldn't eat fats, you know, everything. I fell for all of those things of low carb and low, everything. And I think once, and it happened actually, I got into Ayurveda during my yoga training. So I was in that intense yoga training. We used to, you know, practice two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. It had been going on for three months. I started getting aches and pains. I was a vegan at that point in time. And all I could think of was, I wish I could have a cup of milk with haldi in it. I don't know, I was having cravings for it, I was vegan, I wasn't sure. But, you know, eventually, and there was an Ayurveda practitioner there and she told me, you're having a vata imbalance because you're doing so much, you're not eating enough fats, you're not eating enough, uh, uh, you know, solid, proper food. So that's when I added milk and I started having ghee and my aches and pains went away. And that's when I had to review that, you know, go for moderation rather than an extreme form of diet in any manner. My mother tells me I used to be so fond of ghee as a toddler that I used to climb onto the dining table and finish all of it. From there to a body type which probably enjoyed ghee to one which completely cut it out overnight. So there were some things that I became more intuitive that always listen to the body, what does it need, and everything in moderation, not go overboard. Second thing is in terms of what we want to do in life as well, right? I have a certain brand of yoga that I want, that I believe in. I have certain beliefs that I have. And there is, as an entrepreneur, I think a lot of people, a lot of us have conflict over what works versus what sells. And I can, I had my periods of demotivation when brands would come and sell something. Although I knew it wasn't good. And I think with Ayurveda, there was a reinforcement. This is me. I am here to live as per my calling my nature. And I can't go against my nature because that will create conflict. That will create burnout. So more and more of following your true path. And, you know, this message can come from different areas. For me, it came through Ayurveda that this is is my path. I don't have to deviate. Sort of like also what, um, you know, if you read the Bhagavad Gita, that's where Sri Krishna is telling Arjuna, that you are a warrior, that's your path, don't, this is what you're truly meant for. And you can have this existential crisis that I am here as a yoga teacher, but then who, who am I, should I be doing this? Or maybe I should just go back to my job instead of pandering to whatever is going to be successful. So I think these things were both in terms of self-work and my own philosophy helped me. So it won't be your typical yoga in terms, you know, Ayurveda in terms of do these five rituals or have this diet for me. It's my body knows there are some days I start with a lemon water in the morning. Some days I don't feel like having, I just have warm water. Some days I feel like adding honey to that lemon water. And I do that because my environment is changing. My mind is in different states I use yoga and Ayurveda as things that help me counterbalance all of that. So that's why my yoga and Ayurvedic uh, rituals are variable. They fit into my day rather than my whole life fitting around doing yoga. So if I've had a hectic day, my yoga will be different. If I'm feeling energetic, my yoga practice will be different. It's not fixed and regimented that this is the only thing I will do because yoga is the input into my life, not the
1: output of my life.
0: That's the fundamental difference I think Ayurveda made in my life.
1: We're going to take a quick break. See you on the other side. Welcome back. Let's jump into the conversation. So this whole thing of intuitive eating, yeah. and you know, my body yeah. is saying I should do this. My body yeah. tells me I should have chocolate cake every morning, <laughs> chocolate cake for like lunch, chocolate yeah. cake for dinner. like how do I understand and actually listen to what my body wants? Yeah, is different from these kinds of you know extremist yeah. desires.
0: You know, it's uh, two things come here. That is why meditation practice, or mindfulness practice is very important because that will help you recognize sources of stress a bit sooner than, and I'm not saying I will never have a, I don't have sweet cravings. I'll still have that, but it's not as much as it used to be before too, because what is mindfulness? You're aware, you're not on autopilot. You're not constantly reacting the same way. You you used it's it's a subtle process that happens. You become aware of what's stressing you out. Once that awareness is there, you're able to resolve it sooner than it reaches a stage where where I need other sources of treatment, which could be through sweet food. And I'm not saying every time a sweet craving is happening, you're treating yourself, but in a general, you know, overall sense. So what is awareness? Second is uh, taking a moment. You should have that piece of cake, but only thing you would do is instead of eating it minusly or that chocolate, have a, have a... Have a, you know, slow it down a bit, you know, savor the moment, enjoy that chocolate. And I'm telling you, sometimes when you start doing that, you can't get through one slice of cake. You can't get through more than two squares of chocolate. It's the same principle they apply in smoking. All they tell smokers is when they are trying to cure them that just uh, enjoy your smoke. Notice how it feels. And make, and this is actual mindfulness treatment that has been used. And then the smokers start, oh, it tastes bad. Why am I doing this? Or, you know, that that sensations become heightened and you, you don't enjoy it as much same thing with your sweet cravings slow it down mindfulness slow
1: it down become more mindful about what you're doing maybe that's when you will actually realize that yeah should i be having this what else is my body asking for yeah, interesting.
0: And another thing in Ayurveda is you should not suppress there are some things that you should not either suppress hunger, thirst, and thirteen other urges they listed. Mm-hmm. So suppression doesn't work because it just builds up, builds up. And you know I've been into dieting, and anybody who's been into dieting will tell you you will suppress it, and at some point you will overeat. At some point you will overeat. It builds up. So suppression doesn't mm-hmm. work. You have that piece of cake, enjoy it, and then little piece, piece by piece, and it takes time.
1: It's a slow process. Yeah. So, you know, there's this whole concept of Ayurveda. Yeah. You were also talking about philosophy as yeah. something that you were interested in and, yeah. and yoga took you through that path. Tell us a yeah. little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so I got introduced to yoga sutras in my teacher training. And honestly, before I went for the TTC, I didn't even know what they were. because You are all about yoga's asanas. And in the yoga sutras, so this is where Sage Patanjali comes in. We often associate him with Patanjali with yoga, but... Um, he was actually the one who collected these 200 verses uh, on yoga, very succinct, very powerful. And it's the Bible of yoga for most uh, you know, beginners. And the very first thing, you know, when he answers, what is yoga? He says, yoga chitta vritti nirodha, which is basically yoga is calming your mind. So if anybody asks you what is yoga, that's it's not being able to do a headstand. It's not holding your breath for one minute. it's not. A, it's just being able to calm your mind. And I think it was Swami Vivekananda who gave a very good explanation that you look at a, a water pond and if you, you know, mess up with the pond, then there is a lot of disturbance. You can't see what's at the bottom. But once the water calms down, you can clearly see what's at the bottom. And that's yoga. You Once you can see your true self or you can make this distinction between the environment and sensory exposure to what truly is you, that's yoga. So that I think was the moment when i started wondering why did i send my mother that picture of this pose i want to do with the we how calm is my mind and that that introspection then was helped me change my approach and understanding of yoga and that whole text actually it's a bit complicated but there are a lot of good translations out there including one by swami vivekananda it's a very thin book it's a basic book to start with it transformed my life because it was, let's say, my first exposure to therapy. It was my self-therapy. I was reading it. I was understanding myself. And we've all had trauma. I personally, you know, growing up, I went through my own. I went through a divorce. I had a difficult childhood. All of that. And I could see patterns in my behavior, which is what uh, the text talks about. And I think that also is the foundation of modern therapy. You have patterns you develop through your childhood and how do you break them? And that's what the sutras also teach you. So I think it was... uh, quite uh, enlightening for me that it's not just the poses it is this is how i can do yoga in my life that if i'm getting bothered by what somebody's saying to me how do i react to that that is also yoga i choose to react differently than i've been doing all my life
1: tell me like two three things from from these um, books that you know like really hit you hard for example or what are things that are key learnings that we can you know think about right now
0: yeah. So one thing is, is the concept of sanskar. So, you know, I've heard childhood is is good sanskar, but I never really thought what is this sanskar, sanskars that we talk about. And the yoga sutras talk about it. So this, if you believe in rebirth, these are like seeds in our subconscious, which uh, make us react in a certain way, which make us have feelings in a certain way. And these are embedded in us due to our past experiences or past lives, whatever you call it. I'm just going to say past experiences here. And what the yoga sutra think, one interesting learning was that you can suppress these, they can get subdued and they may not arise. So let's say I have the seed of anger at an X topic. So that is a propensity I have with practice of yoga to a certain degree that can tone down, but it's a seed given the right environment. If it gets enough water, sun and, you know, food, that seed can rise up again. So which is why in order to burn that seed is why you have to do meditation. That is what you call samhari. That's the ultimate stage at which you have burned that the very root cause is gone. But in such time, we will all have the propensity given or theory stories of Vishwamitra had the seed, it wasn't burned. So when the right environment came, broke through and I think that helped me understand that as a yoga teacher we can have very high expectations people have oh you must never get sick you must never get angry or you are like this superhuman who doesn't have normal human emotions so we all have that but it's a journey where we are continuously trying to work and move towards that stage of uh, let's say burning the seed that's was one
1: you know now that you mentioned I'm sure that so much pressure on you for (laughs) these kinds of things right you ever go through imposter syndrome where you're like do I every I time this I get I, yeah.
0: angry I think I do because <laughs> it's natural right I'm having a fight with my husband and I'm thinking okay <laughs> now mm-hmm. you know it's 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 natural I don't know if it's imposter but there's a feeling of guilt that used to come but now you know I've we once you're more open about it but every time you have a fight you don't want to go on social media and say hey I had a fight I just want to be honest about it but it's things like these right they're normal the novel stuff that happens by virtue of having your life out there in the public. But yeah, it's uh, imposter syndrome I haven't had yet. But yes, doubts. These yes. kinds of
1: doubts come yeah, in. Yeah,
0: doubts come in. Yeah. Am I being honest enough?
1: <laughs> so I wanted to ask you something that you mentioned in passing. You were saying that, you know, and uh, I realized it wasn't about your one-handed pinch mayurasan yeah. as a thing. But more, yeah. more towards having a quieter mind. And, yeah. And... You know, you can send a picture of a one handed pinch Mayurasan. Yeah. But how do you express a quiet, quiet mind, right? Yeah. So, how do you know when you are having a quiet mind? How do you know when you're not? Like, where did you notice that aha moment saying, ah, it happened?
0: Yeah. yeah. It, it happens, actually, you will notice the challenges everybody else may not notice unless they're living with you and seeing you how they are. So, you can't take a picture of that quiet moment and share on social media, but you will know it, notice it. It's, it's uh, It happens when you're meditating. It, ha- it happens to be every time I do what is called sectional breathing, and it's a foundational breathing technique I recommend every beginner should do. I've been doing it almost every day. You, you get that feeling after you've done some deep breathing, your um, especially deep belly breathing, your nervous system starts relaxing. I'm mean, going to 10, 12 breaths, you will notice. And then you zone out. And uh, there are obviously experiences in meditation people have, whether they are psychosomatic or subconscious or real, it remains to be discovered. But yes, you, you will know because it's different from how you are the rest of the day. And um, uh, if you want to experience that moment, I think a very good practice is yoga nidra. So yoga nidra is the practice which puts you in the stage of just about falling to sleep, but not yet asleep. It's that um, good state of where you should be when you're meditating. You are not sleeping, but you're still aware. And that is, uh, is where I feel most beginners will be able to understand what it feels like to have that aha moment. Because everybody will remember that just before they slept in Yoga Nidra, there was that moment. You keep coming back to it.
1: There was a fraction of a moment where you could understand. Ah, <laughs> yeah. This is what it feels like. Yeah. Do you have a good uh, Yoga Nidra follow along that people yeah. can...
0: Uh, yeah, I have on YouTube and I think a lot of people have enjoyed it. You will find it on my YouTube Yoga Nama. There is at least one Yoga Nidra session there. On Yoga Nama TV, there are a couple more.
1: Okay. And we're definitely going to try and link it in the show notes below. So if you, you send us a link, we'll put yeah, it in. Perfect. I'll do that. Perfect lovely so so uh, the philosophies behind yoga is something that that started catching your attention is something that you became passionate about as you uh, yeah. went along right then after that what was the journey where else where else did it take you
0: you know it was uh, it was an interesting journey I'll, it has been the same continuous for a while because it's self-work, right? It doesn't change. It, you just keep working on yourself. And that's something that inherently motivates me. So I'm happy. But I'll talk a little bit about how it was initially. So when I first read the yoga sutras, I was super excited. Oh, my God, this is so good. I am, you know, you over apply things to yourself. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Or oh, so much to be done as a typical Pitta personality who can be very self-critical. I was all into it. And then I decided I should go to an ashram. And obviously, my partner at that time was like, what's happening? Because I was going to go away without any contact. It was a very strict ashram for about a few months. We even went and saw the place, very basic, nothing much. And I was very enthusiastic about it. And I think that that is a situation a lot of people go through, wherein a lot of people have been that you get into this journey, then you're like, I want to give up this worldly life and I want to just retire from everything else. So I had my own journey of, you know, introspection and, you know, wondering what next because giving up the relationship or going to the ashram. And I'm glad I did not go to the ashram because I, <laughs> you end up achieving, a, you know, it becomes a very self-centered approach. Then that's mm. what I think my husband, you do study all of this for yourself or so that everybody mm. else around you could benefit because now you're giving mm. up your responsibilities. And mm. it's that... a escapism or more like putting to practice and I think I'm I had my own um, thinking to do decided to stay back and I think that had made that is how yoga nama came to be Hmm. so uh, that was one part of the journey which was a big one but from there actually instead of seeking externally how I can work on myself I managed to build it into my own life that You don't give up your responsibilities in order to follow this path. And I think this happens with a lot of people when they get into philosophy. We start disconnecting from this world and moving into the more individualistic world of uh, isolation.
1: Correct. Yeah. You know, in in Zen, there's this very interesting story that says that you have to go to the mountains, but you have to come back to the market. You go to the mountain, but you have to come back to the market. You have to come back to the real world with this hustle and bustle and all of that. Yeah. And if you don't come back, you're, of, you're, you're selfish, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and at another point of time, they say you're useless to the world. So it's a very exactly. interesting way of putting it down. Yeah. yeah,
0: That's true. And actually, that's when I started reading the Bhagavad Gita and Karma Yoga concepts. So there's Jnana Yogis and everything. That helped, that really helped me understand uh, what I needed to do with my life better. So that, I think, book played an important role in not wanting to withdraw but to stay here and fight my own battle.
1: Here and <laughs> Correct. Fight my no, own and, and, and it is important to be selfish yeah. at times, but you cannot live your life yeah. like that. It is about coming back. It's about community. It's Absolutely. all about all those things, which actually add a lot more value yeah. to your life and to the world around you. So that balance is very, very important. Yeah. Now.
0: Yeah, I really like what you said that if not, then you're useless to the world and we want to be relevant to the world. Exactly. Useless. That was a very good you're line. You're part I'll of it, right? That, yeah.
1: And like you said, it's escapism if you're not. Yeah. Of course, it's hard to give up everything and go. And of course, it's a challenge. And yes, do it. But remember, they will come back. Yeah. That's the important thing. Yeah. Um, Corrective exercise, that's something that you do. Why? Yeah. Why did you suddenly get into that?
0: Because, you know, a lot of people come to yoga in a class because they have aches and pains or issues and they then. Feel like yoga will help them fix it. And I used to feel quite at loss because it's inevitable. A lot of people come to yoga every time in a class, I have this problem, I have that problem. Can you suggest something? And I can't, because in a yoga training is teacher training is one month. You barely study any anatomy. You don't have that expertise. And I, I think at some point in time just didn't like that I had to say no to so many people. And I found that collective exercise would help me integrate these into my yoga practice so if you have carpal tunnel if you know everybody recommends some random techniques which may or may not work but with collective exercise I can assess people I understand what the issue is I know which yoga techniques I can use if somebody has a posture problem they have rounded shoulders anterior posterior pelvic tilt all of these were questions I used to get a lot and, you know, I want to help people. As And there's a temptation as a yoga teacher. You want to say, okay, do this, do that. But I would end up saying, not trained for this. You need to go to a physiotherapist. But because I was having so many people coming and asking these questions, I wanted to integrate. And that's how collective exercise came into my wow teaching. Yeah. So now,
1: what is your next level of journey that you're going to be doing? What is the next beyond yoga part that is on the horizon
0: so i um when i started yoga i had one vision which was yoga for everyday life you know everyday people everyday life how we can make it a part of our practice and i think i'm going to work on that because now i have all the tools i've done everything and i know yoga ayurveda philosophy and now also collective exercise so one is to build up on um Yoganama tv because i think that's uh that's something that's going to really help people instead of just being limited to mumbai and the studios here i get to share my teaching across a wider audience i'm also working on a book which will help connect all of these that i uh, that i know i've learned and i am passionate about so that's going to be second and third is my content creation will continue um through yoga nama tv through my website where i have a blog and a write at length on these subjects i also have a dosha quiz on my website so those who want to know what their prakriti or dosha type is so that continues oh,
1: lovely can you just tell us uh, what is the website and how people can connect with you
0: it's yoganama.com so that's my website you can also connect with me on instagram Yoga Nama and uh, my email is namita at yoganama.com so you will find all of this information even on my Instagram handle and I will look forward to hearing from everyone. Yay,
1: perfect. (laughs) Namita, I absolutely love this podcast. Thank you so much for coming and having this conversation with us.
0: Thanks a lot, Ashton. It was lovely to be here and connect with you. Thank you.
1: Super. Thank you. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network.